Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm Brandon Laws, your host. Thanks for the download and for sticking with us through the crazy times that we've had. Today's interview is with Dr. Paul White. He co-authored a book with Gary Chapman, who you may recognize as the author of The Five Love Languages. They co-authored a book called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, Empowering Organizations by Encouraging People. And it basically takes the ideas from the five love languages, which personally, I read this back in 2008 or nine, something like that. And I still talk about this book and the five love languages with people at work and people in my personal life. And my wife and I talk about it quite a bit. So you go check out that book for sure, because then the appreciation in the workplace, it takes those languages and translates it perfectly. And Dr. Paul White walks us through all of that. And we have a great conversation about how we can use these languages at work and make people aware of our language and what we can do to better enhance our relationships. So that's what it's all about. Enjoy the episode. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five star review. We could use a lot more reviews. So even if you just go and click the little five stars, that would be helpful in itself, or a written review is awesome too. And then I always love hearing from you too. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love direct messages from you guys. So keep that up. And then, you know, some of you reach out to me on Instagram where I frequent quite a bit and uh, direct messages there are fine too. So look forward to hearing from you and enjoy today's episode with Dr. Paul White. Dr. Paul White, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks. I'm glad to be with you, Brandon. And you've wrote several books. The one we're going to talk about today, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, Empowering Organizations by Encouraging People. You co-wrote this with Gary Chapman. And I've read this years ago, and I still talk about this book to this day with a lot of people that I work with and people I run across. I think it's really powerful stuff. So what motivated you to write this book in the first place? I'm a psychologist by training. And sort of how I got into this is I grew up in the context of a family-owned business. And some business friends or business consultant friends of mine kept running into family issues because 85% of all the companies in the U.S. are family owned. And so I actually wound up consulting, dealing with, you know, family members that have a hard time getting along and then moved into business succession planning. And it was in the midst of one of those. I was talking to the owner and I said, you know, how's the plan going? He says, it's good. My son's stepping up. I think it's going to work. I walked across the hall to talk to his son, I asked him the same question. He said, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can't ever please my dad. And my wife and I were in the midst of just read the five love languages, which deals with personal relationships. And I thought, I wonder if this could fit or work. And so I pursued Dr. Chapman for a year and finally got together with him and pitched the idea. And we actually first developed our online assessment on how each person likes to be shown appreciation. And then I started creating some training materials and then we wrote the book together. It was largely out of just seeing a need that was there. I mean, employee recognition has been around quite a while, but it just didn't seem to be working. And so we felt like we wanted to try to bring something that was effective. It's interesting. You know, the five love languages, the languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time and physical touch. I'm curious, like when you read that book and then pursued Gary Chapman for, you said over a year, it seemed like, how did you know that these would fit with the workplace? Did you know that at the time? Did you just decide like, you know what, these languages will work across really anything? I thought they would, except for physical touch. You <laughs> yeah. know, that was always the one that was And so, you know, and I was talking to my 
friends, business friends in it. And they said, yeah, I see it. it makes me a little nervous. One guy, he said, yeah, you know, even today, my assistant finished a job, a big project she'd been working on. And, you know, she put her hand up for a high five. And he said, what am I supposed to do? Just leave her hanging. And so I had to think through also, I mean, what's sort of the equivalent of love and personal relationships and then appreciation in the workplace and started out and tried it. I mean, that's sort of how we do things, you know, pilot it and see how it goes. And it was received really well and continued to be and continues to be. I mean, we sell more books now every year than we have since 2014 and selling like 1500 a week online. And so it seems to meet a need and work. That's fascinating how it's still needed. And that's why I still talk about it with people. In fact, I had a meeting last week somebody talking about conflict. And I'm like, you got to really check out the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, especially if you haven't read the five love languages. This is a good place to start if you have a workplace issues. It's even more funny because the love languages that I have are physical touch as a number one and words of affirmation. I kid you not, when I read your book about the workplace, I was like, these totally translate easily because physical touch does it could be you know, with somebody I'm close with, it could be a hug, it could be a high five, it could be you know, somebody just patting me on the back after doing something good or just, you know, to know the care. And then the words of affirmation are, that's an obvious one. And the thing about the physical touch, I mean, obviously there are issues and challenges about that. And in the inventory, we actually took that out because it's less than 1% of the population has physical touch as their primary language in the workplace. You know, there's high potential negatives. And so but it's largely spontaneous celebration, right? I mean, it's a high five when you finish a project. It's a fist bump when you make a sale or a congratulatory handshake and so forth. And it differs regionally. I mean, I lived in the South for a while and, it, you know, they sort of do the side hug kind of things. And I do some training in the Northeast and physical touch is sort of nodding from across the room and saying, hey, how are you doing? You know, so it varies, but it fits. Have there been certain types of workplaces or industries that are really responding well to this work with the languages? Yeah, there are in the sense that they really feel the need. I mean, I would say long-term care facilities for senior citizens, hospitals, public school teachers, a lot of places that they give a lot, they don't get paid much, there's not much prestige, but they need to be valued and appreciated. And what's interesting is when we went into this, we thought probably some places sort of what we would call sort of tough guy industries of, <laughs> you know, construction or manufacturing or whatever might not fit, but that's not been the case. One of our sort of big cheerleaders is a mining company out of South Dakota and Colorado that mainly they're guys that, you know, do mining and drive trucks and so forth, love it. And in fact, they had us, we have some different visual symbols or icons for each of the language and they wanted stickers to put on their hard hats for that. So we found it was less about the industry and more about the organization and the supervisors seeing the need for this and wanting to help grow in that. Your co-author, Gary Chapman, when he wrote the five love languages, I'm sure there's a ton of research that probably went into why he settled on those five. But did you have to go through any additional research to make sure that these five still applied to the workplace? And how did you, you know, come to that conclusion at the end of the day? Yeah, so his research actually was from 20 years of taking notes in marriage therapy. Oh uh, he's a, and so then he went back and looked at it. And so it was, you know, a different kind of research than standardized group research. And to be honest, I mean, we sort of took it conceptually and said, we think this is a human need. And so we went from there. And then we've done reliability and validity studies a long way. They're published 
But what's interesting is we've had over, I don't know, 240,000 people take our online assessment and be able to look at different groups. And it fits. I mean, it's interesting. We have a group in Singapore that we found that that culture has a different priority. In the U.S. and Western Europe, words of affirmation is the primary language. 46% of employees choose words as their primary language, which is a huge group, but it's also less than half, meaning that over half of the people have other languages. But in Singapore, acts of service is higher. And we've looked at remote employees and different generations and all that. But the feedback that we've gotten and with the growth, you know, with 450,000 books and have 900 trainers worldwide, it sort of proves itself in one sense. What do you think is vastly different between the five languages of appreciation in the workplace versus all these other like workplace assessments, like personalities, like, you know, there's DISC, there's the Myers-Briggs. What's the difference in your mind? Interestingly, we did some research that we took a group of people that took both our Motivating by Appreciation Inventory and the DISC and another group that took the Myers-Briggs. And we found that they're totally different concepts, that there is literally not one significant interrelationship or correlation between personality style and these. So you can't predict a person's DISC personality or Myers-Briggs personality type from what language it is that's important to them. And I think that a difference is that this is sort of largely about motivation, about what's affirming to people, what makes them feel valued. And those assessments give us good clues for what they want to be valued. So if you have, I'm more familiar with the DISC, if you have a D who's sort of, you know, your dominant leader, wants to make decisions, that kind of thing, that's what they want to be affirmed for, taking risks and making decisions. A C who's more about detail work, they want to be affirmed and appreciated for paying attention to details, getting things done. But the way you do that, it really matters on the language of appreciation. So it's really about how they feel valued and affirmed as a person. Yeah, no, I was going to add to that. I think it's a simpler way to understand like what motivates people and what motivates ourselves. Like, I think my wife and I were talking about this last night. It's like, hey, you know, my language is words of affirmation, and then hers is quality time. So we're like, okay, well, what does quality time mean in your mind? And so it's a conversation starter, too. And it helps me understand what drives her as well. And that translates to the workplace as well. We talk about it here, too. And and I thought where you were going with the question went a different place where I thought in that lots of times people say, well, you know, what's the difference between the five love languages in personal relationships and the languages of appreciation workplace? Mm -hmm. One is we got research that shows about 67% 67% of the time, your top, let's say, appreciation language is one of your top two in personal relationships. And the same is true, vice versa. So it's not a one-for-one correlation, and it's sort of you know likely to hit. But the other big difference is in personal relationships, if you know their language is quality time, you pretty much can figure out what that looks like, right? I mean, whether that's sitting on the couch after dinner and talking or going for a walk or whatever. In workplace relationships, we found that it was really more difficult to figure that out. And so actually, we retooled our inventory from just identifying what language people prefer to after they choose the items that help select their preferred language of appreciation. We then give them a checklist of 20 to 25 action items that they want. Because quality time, for example, I'm just, we're publishing some research out of 200,000 people, you know, what are the most common actions chosen? And for quality time, it is individual time talking over lunch, not about work. 
one of the items is go to lunch and talk about work, go to lunch and not talk about work, get together and have a one-on-one meeting. And then they get to choose the person, whether it's a supervisor or colleague or whatever. But some people want times with their supervisors and others really don't. I mean, younger employees tend to want to hang out with their friends and colleagues and do something with them. You've mentioned the word inventory a few times, and it's been years since I've read your book and actually gone through it. But do you have ideas for each of those languages for how people can, words of affirmation, for example, you might have an inventory of, let's say, 20 things that you could do in the workplace. Is that what you have in there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so there's a code for the inventory that comes with the book, or people can just buy code separately for their team members. They don't have to read the book. And you go through it and identifies your primary language of appreciation, your secondary, your least valued one, which is sort of your blind spot. It's the one that's not that important to you and you don't think about, and you're going to have team members that have that. So you got to sort of work on that. And then it identifies the ways that the specific actions within your primary language and let you choose that and from whom you want it. So yeah, it specifies it that way. And then you get a, a PDF report right away. And we've created group profiles that teams can share because it's about, it's cool to know what you know makes you feel valued, but it's really more important for other people to know and for you to know other people's preferences. I'm so glad you brought up the blind spot language because I think people naturally, when they're dominant in a certain area, they want to project it on other people as well. And so I like the fact that you basically are alluding to the fact that you shouldn't ignore it completely because you need to learn how to share that language with other people. So if somebody's receiving gifts, then you needed to be thoughtful about how to give gifts to people. Exactly. Because... What happens is, and you're right, most of us start at least by using our own preferred language to communicate to others. But let's say mine is words, which it is, but one of my colleagues is acts of service, and I can be praising them, I can write them notes, I can do all kinds of things, and it's just like it doesn't jazz them. I get frustrated. It's like, dude, what do you want? What do I have to say? And they're like, dude, just shut up and help me out. You know, it's like, you know, words don't mean anything. Because both people can get frustrated, both the sender and the receiver, because the message isn't working. And that's our goal, really, is to help people learn how to communicate in a way that's effective and efficient. And you're not just trying to go through the motions. You really want to do show appreciation or encourage the other person how to do it in a way that works. This book came out in 2007, I believe. And I'm curious. Mine did, 2011, yeah. Okay. So what has changed in your mind about when it came out versus now? And are people, are they more likely to pick it up now than ever? And what have you learned in the process? Yeah, great question, Brendan. One thing we learned, I mean, it had to sort of deal with along the way is, how do you show appreciation effectively to remote employees? Because that was less of an issue back in 2011. I rewrote the book and it came out last year is like Amazon's number one new HR resource that they picked. But remote employees, because how do you spend quality time or how do you do active service remotely? And so we deal with that and we actually have a specialized version of the inventory for that. So that whole issue is there. Also, the issue of really generational issues become more to the forefront. I think they're quieting down a little bit now, but just that it is interesting to me that the need continues to be really there and we are being approached by major multinational corporations and working with them where we started out with schools and non-for-profits and family businesses and maybe a medical practice and so forth. But it's like it's all over the place, largely because 
people just feel like, and this is one of our messages, is that, you know, employees are people. They're not just production units. And so if you just treat them like that, it's not going to work well. And so that seems to hit sort of a chord for people. And it's sort of going up the chain. I mean, it used to be frontline supervisors and department managers knew and understood it because they saw the pain. But even further up, I don't know if we're at the C-suite yet of big corporations, but, and there's a lot of research, and this was one of the differences in the last book. I mean, I've got over 50 citations of research that show that when team members feel valued and appreciated, it improves the bottom line of a workplace. I mean, absenteeism goes down, tardiness goes down, order goes down, conflict goes down, calling in sick goes down, on-the-job accidents go down. This is incredible. Yeah. Customer service ratings go up, employee engagement ratings go up, job satisfaction ratings go up. And Gallup, in the midst of this, found that appreciation is one of the core factors for employee engagement. And so, and actually, we've got research shows profitability goes up and productivity. So it's not just about making people feel good. It's about helping develop healthy, positive relationships. And when that happens, you know, good things happen work-wise. I mean, things get done and people quit arguing to have conflict over stupid little things that eat up your time and energy. I mean, that's an incredible list of great outcomes that come as a result of appreciating other people. Now, if you've talked to, I'm sure you have, you talked to employees and managers who are using this model and these five languages, what are they saying about knowing about their language and how they're using it and things like that? You know, you have a wide range of reactions. We've developed an online train-the-trainer process because I didn't want to just be the man that I had to go do this. And like I said, I grew up sort of in the social service and not-for-profit world professionally, and they don't have money for training, big training. So I wanted to make a training kit and an online course that people could take and the internal leaders or the HR and training people could take their teams through it. And, you know, you have people that are really excited about it and sort of my cheerleaders. And you have people that are genuinely open and interested. There's some healthy skeptics. I don't know, it seems a little touchy-feely to me. You have unhealthy skeptics, people who are saying, you know, this isn't going to work and I'm going to prove it, which they can for themselves. People are overwhelmed. They're interested, but now is not the right time. And so one of the things we've learned is not to implement it top down. Everybody's got to do it at the same time, partly as a timing issue, but also if everybody is mandated, it undermines the perceived authenticity, which is a key factor. And so we avoid that. And then there's just the issue of some people aren't interested. And all we ask for them is just stand to the side and say, you know, I got it. You don't have to do this. Just don't be obstructive. And often we sort of win them over over time because of our focus on authenticity and genuineness versus just going through the motions and checking off a box. A lot of employers and HR people and just people in this industry that you and I are in, they talk about recognition programs a lot. And I'm curious what the differences are between recognition programs and what you're doing with appreciation. Yeah, it's huge. And actually, I don't know. I don't think I'm some recognition company's favorite person and author <laughs> because it really calls them the task because most recognition programs don't work. I mean, about 90% of all companies and organizations in the U.S. have some form of employee recognition activity. But during the time that those have proliferated, job satisfaction hasn't increased, employee engagement hasn't increased, and a lot of negativity and cynicism has grown. And so we found that employee recognition, when it's designed and implemented well and consistently for the purpose it was intended, which is to improve specific behaviors, 
it really does work well. But employee recognition wasn't designed to make individuals feel valued and appreciated. And they don't do that because they're pretty generic. They got the same sort of ceremony and certificate and gift cards for everybody. <laughs> it's large group based, which we found about 40% of the workforce absolutely don't want to go in front of a group to be recognized. It only includes words and gifts from our perspective, which leaves out 50% of the workforce that you're not even using the language that's most important to them. And it feels pretty impersonal and it's organizational, it's top down. And it's also performance-based, which is okay, except for people. You know, we're not just production units and work units. There are times when it's okay and good to support and encourage somebody who's maybe not at the top of their game. I mean, you know, I had twins when well, I was starting out my career and sleep deprivation to the max. Was I the best member on my team? No. But, you know, rewarding me for performance wouldn't matter. I just needed some support dealing with, you know, the life circumstances. Or if you have a parent that, you know, you have to deal with getting them into the right senior housing place, there are other things that impact us. And the other thing is we can value things and appreciate things about people that aren't production related. For example, I like to work around cheerful people more than grumpy people. You know, does that mean they're a better producer? No, but I can value and appreciate them for that and communicate that. Or sometimes when we're trying to help out somebody grow, you look at other areas of their life, maybe somebody's training for a half marathon and you say, man, that's cool. You got the discipline to do that. That's really cool. Is it about work? No. Is it supportive and showing you value them? Yeah. And the other key part about it is that employee recognition programs, performance-based ones, really sort of only touch the top 10 or 15% performers in a group. That means you've got a good 50 to 60% in the middle that are showing up, doing their job. They may not be your stars, but they're, you know, given a good effort. They don't hear anything from recognition. And the top 10 or 15% sort of are repeated. Appreciation and recognition when it's designed well can really work together well to both support and encourage performance, but also encouraging to one another. And the other key lesson we learned along the way is that it's not just top down. Appreciation isn't. Recognition is. But Appreciation can go any direction, and people want to know how to show appreciation and encouragement to their colleagues, or maybe somebody even another department. Maybe you want to thank IT for helping get your computer to work right, or somebody in facilities that came and cleaned up a mess or fixed something. So it's not sort of following the organizational chart. Yeah, I love the way you put it that recognition programs they seem to be kind of top down versus appreciation. It's lateral, it's 360. It empowers people to be able to recognize and appreciate others at any time. And I think that's what's great about it. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, lots of times we will be introduced by somebody that was just a worker. And I don't mean that in a condescending way, but they didn't have a position of power. They found their book, they read it, they had it on their desk, they talked to people about it. And I can tell you, we did a group with Miller Coors that was like 35 leaders. And then it went all the way across the organization. Same thing with DirecTV. Rarely do we actually start at the top and go that way. It's often we start in the middle and it just sort of grows from there. I'm glad you brought that up because my next, you know, kind of question was how do we get this to stick? If somebody runs across the book, they pick it up as an individual and they're like, I want to share it with my team, but I want to make sure that it sticks. Or even let's say you go into an organization and talk about it. How do you get it to last long term? So that way, people are using this content all the time. Yeah. So the way to get it started 
often is we just really encourage to do just sort of a pilot group. Don't try to implement it across the whole organization initially. Mm. I mean, that's a huge sales deal. But just say, hey, can I do this with my team? You know, and the cost, I mean, the book costs 13 bucks and our codes cost, you know, 15 a piece, which is nothing in the workplace compared to other assessments. You know, could I have a hundred bucks for my team just to go through this? And we've got both a small group training kit resources, as well as this appreciation at work, train the trainer process, and a little bit of support and openness. And obviously, like any behavior change, if you have a couple of colleagues or buddies that are with you on it, it's more likely to sustain. But it's interesting that it sort of proves itself and people value it. It's not one of the things that I had to get over as a psychologist. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's not like rocket science, but that's actually one of our saving graces is that, you know, most people don't have a lot of an emotional bandwidth to learn and remember a whole bunch of stuff. Well, you got five languages. We have visual symbols that help you remember them. We have all different kinds of reminders to help you out. And, and it's sort of fun. It's easy to remember and implement that way. Okay, I want to turn it to you before we end here shortly. But I want to know, how has your life changed either personally or professionally as a result of these five languages of appreciation at work? And you know, how do you use this on a daily basis? Two points. One, it really did create a career shift of direction for me because I was mainly doing consulting with family-owned businesses, but now I mainly speak and do leadership training on the five languages, as well as some follow-up topics around toxic workplaces and so forth. And I would say 90% of my professional time is on that. At another level, there's a fair amount of pressure, you know, Brandon, that <laughs> I better be treating my employees and my team well, because they get asked on the phone a lot. You know, it's Dr. White actually, you know, implement this stuff. So I work at I've got a great team and we have fun together. They really value being able to serve people and customers and people in the workplace to help make more positive workplaces. And so there's sort of an intrinsic reward for that for them. But, you know, I've had to grow in beyond words because words is easy for me. But stopping, because I'm a pretty hard, fast worker, you know, stopping to take time and just check in somebody. And that's an important point about quality time. It doesn't take a lot of time. I had one CFO tell me, she said, my language is quality time, but all I need is somebody to stop by, check in and see how I'm doing. And after five minutes, I'm booting you because I got too much to do myself. So it's not like you got to be their best friend. It's just they want to know you think about them and are taking time to do that. What's a good way to understand what everybody's language of appreciation is? Is there an assessment you can take that kind of like combines all of them and plots everybody out or, or should people print it out and put it at their desk? Like, how do you recommend? Yeah, so we've created tools. I mean, we have a group profile for a team where as the team members take the inventory, you can plot their languages and actions. We have what we call a cubicle poster where you can put, you know, the five languages logos one quarter and your logos in the other. And then the person's name, their top two languages, their top two actions. It's like a eight and a half by 11 sheet that they can post at their desk. And we have actually an Excel spreadsheet for big organizations where you can, you know, get people's languages and actions. To be honest, the best place to go is sort of our mothership website. It's appreciationatwork.com. And it's the word at, not the at sign, but appreciationatwork.com. Got free resources, videos, fun things, articles. We've got lanyards, we've got buttons, 
all kinds of things to help people sort of think through and apply this. And that's often a way to keep it going as well, is sort of send out, I mean, we have a weekly newsletter. We've got, you know, 100,000 people on that, you know, just has a weekly tip about appreciation and so forth. Dr. Paul White, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. Is there any like parting thoughts or things you want to point people to? I know you shared that people should go to your website. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, I would just say, don't get overwhelmed and don't, you know, I, when I'm talking to engineers, I say, you know, don't plot out a, you know, a big <laughs> spreadsheet, but just start somewhere with someone. And it doesn't take much to really have an impact on the people that you work with on a day-to-day basis. And if you just take a little time and effort, and we've got a, a piece that's called the 10 easiest ways to show appreciation to anyone, you know, you pick an action and go for it. And just don't wait to have a master plan. Just get started and you'll be good. Thank you very much, Dr. Paul White. You bet. My pleasure, Brandon.